Welcome to the church family that is lifting lives through living love, inspiring hope, filling with faith, and transforming our world. These recorded messages are made available so that you might have additional opportunities to stay connected with us, and then you might learn and grow in your faith. God bless you as you hear the word today. And now, the message. Our scripture reading comes from the book of Acts, chapter 4, verses 32 through 37. All the believers were of one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone in need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. May the Lord bless the reading and the hearing of his word. We're in the middle, as I said earlier, a a series of talking about service. And so far this month, we've talked about supporters like Aaron and Hur, who supported Moses's leadership in the Old Testament. And and John the Baptist promoters, like John the Baptist, who famously said, he must increase and I must decrease. People who kind of promote and lift up the work and ministry of others. And those who are caregivers, last week we talked about Ruth and Naomi and her care for Naomi and and how we are called not just to be caregivers, but to care for the caregivers in our midst in our church. And today we're going to turn our attention to one of the greatest servants in the early church, but I just want to let you know that he wasn't kind of famous, like he wasn't one of the 12 apostles, nor was he one of the seven who were raised up in, in leadership in the early church. Uh, rather, you know, this, this person that was operated mostly in the background, so much so that we don't even really know or, you know, him today by his given name, which was Joseph. Instead, we are more apt to know him by the name the apostles gave him, which is Barnabas. And that name tells us everything we need to know, though. Because the name Barnabas means son of encouragement. Barnabas' way of serving was by encouraging others. Now, I remember when I was uh, young in high school, I memorized a, a verse. This was kind of in my youth group. It was Ephesians 4:29. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only that which is useful for building others up. Now, when I was in high school in my youth group, they really emphasized the first part of it. No unwholesome talk, you know. No curse words, like, you know, we were on kind of like the word police kind of thing. But that's a misreading of this verse because it's not about clean or dirty language. It's about building others up in your language. Are you lifting others up? Are you tearing others? Because that's the heart of encouragement, building others up. And this is a beautiful thing about encouragement. It's, it's one of the easiest, but also one of the most impactful ways we could serve because it doesn't cost us a lot. Sometimes just a few words, just a moment of our time. But the impact of encouragement can be exponential. It can be so powerful. And Barnabas gives us this example. The amazing thing about Barnabas is that we don't know what words he spoke. His words are never recorded in scripture. And yet he shows up again and again in the story of Acts 
as an encourager and his impact was immeasurable. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at the three places where Barnabas shows up in the story of the early church. And we're going to see how in each moment, you know, how he encouraged and what his message of encouragement was. Now, the first place Barnabas shows up was in the passage that Michael just read for us a moment ago in the early church. And Acts 4 gives us a picture of what the early church was like, that there was this amazing spirit of generosity and sharing among them, that if anyone had surplus goods, you know, property, they would sell it, and then they'd bring the proceeds to the apostles, who then in turn would distribute it to anyone who might be in need. There's this amazing spirit of generosity throughout the whole church, but one man is singled out because perhaps his gift was like a lead gift, the kind of gift that encourages and inspires others. And that man was a Levite from Cyprus named Joseph. But the disciples were so encouraged by his gift that they gave him a new name, Barnabas, son of encouragement. Now in any kind of organization or venture, there is a moment when your gifts or our gifts can have a bigger impact, and that's when something is just getting started. When something is just getting off the ground, that's a moment when gifts are especially needed to kind of help get it going, right? I, you know, I, when, well, I'll, I'll tell that story in a minute, but it, the, the point is, is this, is that for the early church, we kind of have this idyllic picture in in Acts 4, like it says, there's not a needy person among them in that moment. But if you actually read like the chapters to either sides of Act 4, we get a bigger picture of what the early church was like. And, and it wasn't all roses. Like the picture is this, that first off, there's exponential growth, which anytime you've been part of an organization that's grown rapidly, you know, that has its own challenges. There was a shortage of leaders, the apostles were stretched way too thin. They were bit so busy eventually taking care of all the needy among them that they realized we don't have enough time to preach the gospel. That's why they raised up another seven to help them lead. There was external resistance. The Jewish leaders were intimidating them, arresting them, threatening them. And there was internal dissension as well. There was a conflict between, you know, the Hellenistic speaking, you know, the Greek speaking Jews and the Hebrews who only spoke Aramaic. So there was this conflict. They were each claiming that the other got more service, more of those goods that were being sold. And on top of this, there was overwhelming need because the gospel made its inroads. You know, it first got its start, not with the rich and not with the powerful, but with the down and out and the marginalized, those are the people who flocked to Jesus. Those are the people who responded to Jesus's message. It was the widows and the orphans, the people who were more likely to take out of the offering plate more than they could put back in. You know what I'm saying? And so there's this overwhelming need. It would have been easy for the apostles to get overwhelmed, for them to, you know, for this, this quickly growing church to collapse in on itself. The only thing that made it work was that there were people among them who had the capacity to give, whose lives had been touched and transformed by the message of Jesus. And it's their gifts that put the church on solid footing. And Barnabas was one such person. His gift was so great, knock your socks off great, that he got into scripture. His early gift to the disciples sent a very clear message, which was this. I see the work you're doing. I've tasted it and it's good. Keep it up. 
Barnabas's gift encouraged the disciples. It gave them the capacity to expand the message of Jesus to the early world. Now, the story I was going to mention was when my wife and I, uh, five years ago, we moved here to Zionsville. We had the idea to start a nonprofit to support and sustain uh, the, the work we wanted to do in Haiti. So we started a nonprofit called Zami Fondois. And it was, a, it was a big kind of moment because to start this nonprofit, not only my wife, but another good friend of ours, both of them left full-time paying jobs to start a nonprofit. And, and we, they set a budget, you know, for, for the first year, we need to raise $300,000 to be able to build uh, 13 homes. That was in Haiti, the community in Haiti. We worked, that was the goal. And, and, and 300,000 felt like huge. Like, how are we going to do this? How are we going to get it? And I remember one particular gift. We were about a few months into our work when uh, a member of our previous church came to us and she said, we, we've kind of met my family and I, we want to make a special gift to you guys. And they gave a gift of $100,000, a third of our annual budget. Now, that's not to say all the other gifts weren't important. We needed everyone's support and help to, to reach the goal. You know what I mean? Like, it's not about the size of the gift. The Bible's really clear. It's not about the size of the gift. It's about the heart that matters. But I do know, I can tell you, when we were just getting started, that gift made a transformative impact upon us. Because it told us, okay, I got you. You know, it was God's way of saying this. You're going to be okay. Keep going. Don't give up. You're doing a good thing. And that's the kind of message that I think Barnabas' gift to the early church, to the apostles, did for them. It said the exact same thing. I got you. You're going to be okay. This is going to work. Keep it up. And then Barnabas disappears. We don't hear of him again for almost 10 whole chapters in the book of Acts. By the time he reappears, it's in Acts chapter 13. And by that time, he's moved from Jerusalem to Antioch, and he's become a leader in the church in Antioch. And one day, while they're in a time of worship and fasting, the Holy Spirit speaks, and it says, Set aside for me Barnabas and Saul, who would soon be Paul, for the work to which I have called them. Now, Barnabas and Saul then, you know, Paul, set aside the work and it became clear what God wanted them to do was go out, you know, to, to, to journey forth from Antioch into the rest of the Roman world and, and proclaim the good news of Jesus. This was the first of Paul's missionary journeys. Now, Paul is the lead character in the story. If you keep reading in Acts, it's his words, his proclamation, his deeds, his miracles. That's what you're going to read all along the way. But this is the wisdom of God. God knew that Paul could not do it alone. Lydia, you said that just a moment ago. We're not meant to do ministry alone. God knew Paul needed a companion because he was going to encounter difficulties and challenges upon his journey. Let's do a quick recount of what happened on Paul's journey. The very first place he went was a place called Cyprus, which was Barnabas's home, right? And when they got to Cyprus and began preaching, he came across a local magician, uh, kind of, which I think is like maybe a Jewish witch, witch doctor, a false prophet is another way the Bible translates it. Is, is, is like, you know, anyways, this, this, this false prophet like stands against Paul. I assume did some kind of magical hex upon him. And then Paul responded by doing this, you know, kind of calling, it's like a reminiscent of the Old Testament, the prophet showdowns. 
Paul calls down God's power and defeats this magical, you know, this magician. But that's the very first sign of resistance. And that's just a taste of what's to come. They leave Cyprus and they go to Pisidia. And they get to Pisidia, they begin preaching in the, in the local synagogue, and people like what they had to say so much that a big crowd comes the next week. And guess what? The Jewish leaders begin to get jealous and worried, and so they start whipping people up against, against Paul. And, and so before long, uh, uh, you know, the resistance gets so bad that he is run out of the town, which I don't think is like a polite escort. You know, I think it's more like when you're throwing the drunk from the bar, you know, like he's thrown flat on his face outside. And the Bible says he picks up, takes off his sandals, claps them off, you know, shakes the dust off his feet. And then he continues on to the next place, which happens to be uh, Iconium. And then when he gets to Iconium, same thing happens. He's run out of town, except in this case, he is nearly stoned. I mean, like literally, he was going to be stoned by the people. And so he flees before they can stone him. Like that's how he's run out of town in Iconium. The next place he goes to is Derby and Lystra. And Derby and Lystra, it's an interesting part of the story. He heals someone. And then the, the, all the Gentiles, all the Greeks who are among them, when they, when they see him heal someone, they think that he is a god. They begin worshiping him as Hermes and Zeus, well, the two of them, Hermes and Zeus. And they say, we're not gods, but let us tell you about one who is God. And as they begin preaching about Jesus, all the Gentiles begin to convert to Christianity. But guess what? The Jewish leaders are against them. And this time, they actually stone him. I mean, they gather a mob to surround him, pelt him with stones. He is thought to be dead. They drag him outside the city and leave him there. And Paul gets up, you know, miraculous in God's grace, he's still alive and healed. And he says, okay, this is enough. I'm gonna head back home now. So, so he, he kind of retraces his steps and heads back home. And then the coup de grace, you know, after it's all done, the final resistance he encounters is not from without, not from the Jewish leaders or from the Gentiles, but instead from the Jerusalem church. Because word gets back to the Jerusalem church about all of Paul's exploits and how so many Gentiles are coming to faith. And then there's this debate that takes place within the early church about what to do with Gentile converts. Should they follow Moses' law? Do they need to be circumcised? And Paul goes down with Barnabas to Jerusalem because Barnabas has a few more connections in, Bar in Jerusalem than Paul does. And I like how the Bible says, it says there, <laughs> the, the, the quote in, in Acts, the version I read says, there was not a little debate and dissension, not a little, meaning Paul had to fight tooth and nail for his ministry to be affirmed, for them to recognize and receive what the Holy Spirit was doing among them. The point is, every step of his journey, Paul encountered resistance, obstacles, from within and without, he was nearly stoned. And then to thank him for it, the church nearly, you know, said, you're doing the wrong thing, Paul. He was nearly rebuked by the church. And every step along the way, he needed a companion, someone who was going to be with him, lift him up, encourage him, someone with whom he could vent and someone with whom, you know, from whom he could receive counsel when he needed it. And that person was Barnabas. Every step along the way, he took care. He had Paul's back. And so the message of encouragement 
Remember the first message of encouragement was, I see what you're doing. It's good. Keep it up. Now the second message of encouragement is, I see the work you're doing. It's good. Keep it up. But I want you to know I am with you. No matter what you face, you will not face it alone. I am at your side. That's what Barnabas communicated to Paul in those crucial days where the church was expanding. And then, strangely, Paul and Barnabas decide to part ways. I mean, just when the Jerusalem church is convinced that the Holy Spirit is present in this ministry and they, you know, they affirm the inclusion of all the Gentiles and, you know, and, and they send, you know, and they say, Paul, you're doing good work, keep it up. Then Paul and Barnabas split and it begins in kind of an innocuous way. Paul says to Barnabas, hey, come, let us go back to the churches that we started. And, you know, all the brothers and sisters, the believers in the towns, and, and let's, you know, see how they're all doing. That's a good mission, right? And Barnabas is all in. He says, yeah, I want to go. He says, but I want to take with us John, who is called Mark. Now, if I take you back to the very beginning of Acts 13, their first missionary journey, there was someone with them named John. In Acts 13.5 says he was with them as their helper when they went to Cyprus. But within eight verses, by the time they leave Cyprus and begin to go to Pisidia, we're told from Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga and Pamphylia, and there John left them to return to Jerusalem. He didn't have it in him. After the first sign of conflict and resistance, the first magic hex cast upon him, he was like, this isn't what I signed up for. He slipped away and went back to Jerusalem. So after the Jerusalem council, Barnabas, I assume while they're in Jerusalem, reconnected with John Mark and said, hey, why don't you come with us and go, you know, be part of this journey? And for Paul, he's like, no way. This guy flaked out on us. And this is too important. This is mission critical stuff. You know what we went through, Barnabas. I can't have someone with me that I can't depend upon. Or as scripture says it, he decided not to take with him the one who had deserted them and Pamphylia, the one who hadn't accompanied them in the work, the one who hadn't been through the fire. He hadn't been through the trenches with us, Barnabas. We can't take this guy. And if you've been through everything Paul had been through, I mean, if you've been literally stoned and left for dead, you can understand why he needed and wanted people that he knew he could count on. But I'll say this, everywhere he went, Paul preached a message of grace. But in this moment, Barnabas was the one who lived grace because he offered to John Mark an opportunity for redemption. And the, and the argument between Paul and Barnabas became so sharp on this matter that they ultimately decided just to part ways. Barnabas took with him John Mark, and they went back to Cyprus, where he was from, the very beginning of the first missionary journey. And Paul said, well, I'm going to take another guy, Silas, that the church affirms and approves of. And, and then Paul and Silas set out to go through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches there. And at that point, as I said, Paul's the lead character. So what do you think happened to Barnabas? He's gone. He disappears from the pages of the Bible forever. But here's the, here's the twist. John Mark does not. He shows up in this obscure verse at the very end of Paul's ministry 
Paul, as you know, wrote letters to all the early churches, and he wrote letters to, to uh, mentors you know, or mentees that he had. Uh, one, you know, two letters went to uh, Timothy, another one to Titus, Timothy being his protege. And this, his second letter to Timothy, he wrote at the very end of his life while he's in Rome, waiting to die. You know, it's the, it's, the, it's the letter where he famously says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. And at the very end of the letter, you know, the part we skip over where is all the little names that are mentioned, right? Uh, Paul writes to Timothy and he says, everyone has deserted me. All the people who are with me. Go to the next slide. I can recall the names. Demos, who's in love with the present world, has deserted me. Crescens and, and, and Titus, they've gone to Galatea and Dalmatia. Only Luke remains with me. And so he says to Timothy, he says, go get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me in ministry. Now, useful to me in ministry is not exactly a Hallmark card, right? Like, it's not like, you know, it's not like a glowing report. But, but for Paul, this is huge, it tells us that this guy that he wrote off, that he thought was done, at some point along in his journeys, he came to see that John Mark had value as a leader and could be relied upon in ministry. And not only that, but tradition ascribes to this same John Mark, the earliest account we have of Jesus' life and ministry, the gospel of Mark. Isn't that cool? And here's what I want you to see, is go back to that moment in John Mark's story where he had flaked out and failed in the very first missionary journey. He wasn't ready for that moment. And now he was being rejected, pushed aside, you know, by, by the most prominent and influential voice in the early church. It would have been so easy for him in that moment to just feel like, okay, I'm nothing. God's done with me. Instead, Barnabas came beside him, advocated for him, said, I'm going to stick with you even if it costs me my relationship with Paul. And that sent to John Mark a clear message of encouragement, which is that Simple. Sometimes we all need to hear these words too. I still believe in you. Don't give up. So if you recap the three moments where Barnabas shows up in each, in the early church's story, I just want to recap this. In the very beginning, he shows up as a benefactor to bless the church. And when he shows up as a benefactor, his message is real simple. I see the good you're doing. Keep it up. And then the next part of the story, Barnabas shows up as a companion, someone who journeys with Paul through thick and thin. He's always there. And the message of encouragement is, no matter what you face, I got you. I'm with you. And at the end of the story, he shows up as a defender, someone who offers grace and forgiveness to someone who had failed and said to him, I still believe in you. Don't give up. You can see from beginning to end why the early church considered Barnabas, called him the son of encouragement. So here's my challenge to you. Can you live out this legacy this week? Can you be someone who encourages others? 
My challenge is specific. I want you to think of three people, each of whom, oh, go back, put that slide back up there if you don't mind. Can we get it back up? Maybe, maybe not. Okay, just remember. Okay, so three people, each corresponding to that part of Barnabas's message. So do you know someone who's just getting started in something, who's starting a new venture. It could be someone who's going off to college, starting a new relationship, starting a new job, someone who's doing something new and might feel a little unsure. How can you send them a message? Maybe you can do a, a gift. Like that's what we want to do, Lydia, for you. And you know, as you're doing, you're doing great work. And we want to come alongside and say, keep it up. We're so proud to be with you. That's what we do when we give a gift. So who can you encourage this week with a gift? Second thing that I want to challenge you to do is think of someone who's in a long journey. It might be the long journey of caregiving we talked about last week. It might be the long journey of grief. It might be the long journey of a medical treatment or a rehab, or it might be the long journey of, of something they're doing at work or in their family, but someone who's going through a long journey how can you send a message to them of like, hey, I know this is tough what you're going through, but I am with you and I always will be. And then the last way to encourage is I want you to think of someone who maybe has failed. Maybe through some mistake of their own or maybe just life turned out different from how they expected. But someone who perhaps is in a low point right now in their life. And how could you reach out to that person right now to say, you know what? I still believe in you. Don't give up. God's not done writing your story. Remember Ephesians 4.29. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, which isn't about clean or dirty words. It's about whether you cut people down. Don't let that talk that cuts or diminishes come out of your mouth. But instead, only that which is useful for building others up. Let's build people up this week and all the weeks ahead of us. Wouldn't it be wonderful if your name was Barnabas? If someone thought of you as a son or a daughter of encouragement, wouldn't it be wonderful as that was the identity we had as a church, someone who encouraged, built up, expanded people's capacity to do good in the world for the sake of Jesus Christ. Let us be encouragers because that is what God in Christ does for us and in us to the glory of the Father. Will you join me in a word of prayer? Oh, gracious God, we give you thanks for the capacity that you give every single one of us to be encouragers. And sometimes we can do that through our words, but sometimes we can do it through our gifts or through our friendship or through our forgiveness. Every single one of us, God, can think of someone right now who needs a word of encouragement or a sign of hope. Help us take upon ourselves the responsibility to be that sign of hope, that word of encouragement that they need so that they might, through us, hear a word from you that reminds them to keep going for you have great things ahead. We thank you, God, for this opportunity and for all the blessings which we know you will and can do through us, your people. We offer this prayer in the name of your son, Christ Jesus. 
our Lord. Amen.